2: Millions of people flooded the streets of Mexico. They were eager to watch shiny race cars inaugurate their country's monumental new highway, a feat of engineering unmatched anywhere else in the world. They expected a thrilling cross-country race. They got a bloodbath instead. Some call it the most dangerous sports event in Mexican history. And with a mortality rate of five people killed every year, it certainly proved deadly to participants and spectators alike. Today on Past Gas, we're taking a trip to the Sierra Madres and looking back on the original Carrera Panamericana, also known to friends, acquaintances, and loved ones as Carrera de la Muerta, the race of death.
3: Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports.
2: Carrera de la Muerta. De la Muerta. De la Muerta. <laughs> That's fun to say.
4: Carrera.
3: Carrera de la Muerta. It's like a um, burlesque
4: dancer's name. <laughs> yeah. Tia Carrera de la Muerta. <laughs> I had such a crush on Tia Carrera when I was a little kid. That's gross. That's funny. <laughs>
3: well, which one C- is it? C- <laughs> Carrera de la Muerta sounds like she hangs out with Blaine Capatch. <laughs> that's an inside LA comedy
4: joke. I always misread that guy's name as Blaine Captcha. That
2: means you're a robot, Joe.
1: Yeah, oh, fuck that means- <laughs> that's true.
4: <laughs> is this how I find out?
2: <laughs> Welcome back to Past Gas everybody. Very interesting story today. Very excited to tell it. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my co-hosts. We got Joe Weber, Keep It Juiced, and James Pumphrey. If you think that's hot, it's only gonna get hotter.
4: <laughs> what if your producer tag was just "Who's responsible for this"? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying for this. Yeah, they get they hire like the principal from uh, Breakfast Club on. Cameo to record like their producer tag
3: Who's responsible for this? How you guys doing? I got a, a bit of a late start today Yeah Yeah, I was literally just hanging out And you <laughs> called me And you were like, hey, you gonna join the podcast? I was a half hour late
2: <laughs> We were getting a little worried
3: <laughs> I was the, I was hanging
2: out <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's, it's kind of expected that one of us Is gonna be maybe like five minutes late that's kind of like the window, uh-huh. and then I think Joe or Thomas, producer Thomas, like hit you up on Slack. We didn't get any response for like ten more minutes.
4: It was honestly kind of scary.
2: Yeah, you weren't online on Slack, and then we're like, oh man, it's uh, it's getting a little late. Who knows? I've
4: been watching TikToks
2: on my couch,
3: <laughs> <laughs> just straight hanging out. <laughs> How's your algo? Uh, it's better. Last night it got kind of weird. <laughs> Things were weird, man. (laughs) Things are a little weird. Little got a little inside last night.
4: I watched this guy on TikTok that makes like people suggest crazy cocktails for him to make. Uh And he likes all of them. One was like soy (laughs) sauce, black pepper and vodka Uh and pineapple juice. Oh, That's like a steak. It's like teriyaki sauce. (laughs) Yeah. It's like teriyaki. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think I would like.
2: I do like a, uh, a good, uh, Savory cocktail. There's not enough of them. Yeah, those are good. What
4: are you talking about? Like gravy, <laughs> gravy <Yeah. laughs> with whiskey in it.
2: <laughs> no, but you know, you get something like a mes like a mezcal cocktail. They're not necessarily super sweet. It's more of like yeah. a, uh huh, just like a smoky, a, a smoky kind of. Yeah, those are interesting. I also think like some like gin cocktails are also not exactly sweet. They're more like herbal. You know, yeah. I dig those. Do you know? Mm-hmm.
4: You know, like how the old fashioned cocktails have whipped egg whites on top.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah.
4: I went to a bar that did the vegan versions of that and they used garbanzo bean goo. Oh, uh, I was like, yeah. that's, I did. I wish I didn't see the can there.
2: Cause then I was like,
4: <laughs> I, uh, bean goo yeah. is so
2: gross. But it's a, it's like a protein kind of, uh, starchy. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Sounds like a derogatory
4: term. An Italian would call you a bean goo. goo. I, that
2: means ass face I keep remembering every day this week when I wake up That I have jury duty on Monday Oh no Yeah That was like the delayed jury duty Like I got the letter like two months ago And I, you know, delayed because it was during a shoot week And now I have I have it again on a shoot week <laughs> What if you get put on a two-year murder trial? Uh, Oh, no. That would not be good.
4: Looks like I have to come over there and make you unfit to serve.
3: Yeah, how do I do that? Just go up to him, go up to the person and be like, listen, (laughs) I'm not a good
4: guy. (laughs) (laughs) Be really vague about it, though, because you don't want to just go up and say, I'm racist. (laughs) I just don't think I should be
3: on a jury because I'm not a good guy. Yeah. What do you
2: mean? I think everyone's innocent. <laughs> yeah.
4: I, it is weird though. Cause I made it to the last round where there was like 30 people left. And, uh, it was like a woman suing her company. And I just, I didn't want to do it. I'd been there for three days already, like with this selection process and they got to me and they were like, is, is there any reason that you are unfit to be on the jury? And I, like someone sued my cousin's restaurant a while ago and I just pulled it out of my ass and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I told this story and they, excuse me, it worked.
2: Wow. Okay. I'll have to, with the, the context of the, the trial, I'll have to find something in my back pocket. Yeah. To, next week is going to be super busy because we got to shoot and uh, uh, we have to go on location to other uh, a, a racetrack. Uh, for that and then i'm going to iowa at the end of the week also one of my my buddies is coming over because we're gonna go see deftones so a lot of stuff going on and jury duty my civic duty is not i i just don't have space for it you just know? don't go don't go
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> the origins of the carrera panamericana actually go all the way back to before cars even existed In 1884, the United States passed a plan to build a railway system connecting North and South America. But the idea got slowed down enough by international politics that construction still hadn't begun by the early 20th century, when the use of cars started rapidly overtaking railroads. Alongside this technological transformation, the idea of an intercontinental railroad eventually transformed into an intercontinental highway. And in 1937, 14 countries agreed to a deal spearheaded by the United States to reconstruct the Pan-American Highway, a network of roads spanning 19,000 miles between Alaska and Argentina.
4: Well, 19,000, that's a lot.
2: That's a lot of roads. In 1950, Mexico became the first country to complete its portion of the highway. 2,178 miles of roadway running north-south between Texas and Guatemala. In order to promote their accomplishment, the Mexican government decided to throw a nine-stage, five-day, border-to-border rally race. They called it the Carrera Panamericana, or Pan American Race, for us gringos. Mexico hoped that publicity generated by the race would help spread the word of the country's increasing modernity. This was during an era of economic growth known as the Mexican Miracle, and the Mexican government imagined that images of state-of-the-art race cars on their newly inaugurated highway would replace colonial Mexico in the minds of the world's uppity-ups. I was doing some research last night uh, after I you know, read through this, and dude, Mexican history- Better man is, than me. <laughs> <laughs> Mexican history is super interesting, and this is a really- uh, strange time or not strange, but this time that we're in this time period, the late forties to the fifties, it's a really, uh, uh, interesting time for Mexico. Very like uh, most of Mexico's history up to this point was, you know, they, they won their independence from, from Spain. And then the people decided that their new government was a little too close to, uh, the Spanish government because they still, the caste system that Spain had brought over, was still intact. So then they had a revolution in the early 1900s. So in like the three decades preceding was this race, still like
4: the, they were still answering to the Spanish King.
2: Uh, that was the revolution came after, uh, independence. So those are two separate, separate events. The revolution in the 1900s, uh, was, it was against an, an independent government. They just thought that the revolt was all around like this government, even though we are independent from Spain, it's too similar to Spain, the system yeah. that Spain had set up. You know, rich people own all the land. We're, you know, peasants are working the land. We don't like this. So they got rid of it. So that's that's kind of the, the 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 context of this is like, now in the 40s into the 50s, the Mexican government that was in place after the revolution, now they want to appear to be more friendly to international business. And this race is kind of like, a showcase of Mexico's infrastructure yeah, uh, to attract more people to do business here to shift away from the old, like in the decades after the revolution, the government would still take land from rich landowners and give it over to peasants and stuff like that. But then they reversed that policy, uh, I think in the late forties and now they're trying to be more business minded.
4: Well, thanks for the, thanks for that update that puts everything into perspective.
2: That was like, Super base level. Uh, I'm not claiming to be an expert, uh, but I definitely want to know more about Mexican history now because it's fascinating. We're
4: going to come to so. work on Monday and Nolan's going to have the accent over the second, the A in his name, <laughs> Nolan. Nolan.
2: <laughs> anyway. The race path ran almost entirely along the new road for a total distance of 2,096 miles. It began in Ciudad Juarez, just across the border from El Paso, and finished five days and nine stages later in the jungles of Chiapas on the Guatemalan-Mexican border. Among the many challenges of the path were significant temperature and elevation changes. The drivers would travel from as low as 328 feet above sea level to as high as 10,482 feet, which required the teams to rejet their carburetors between stages to cope with the thinner air at higher altitude.
4: That's a huge elevation change.
2: The inaugural Carrera kicked off on May 5th, 1950, with 40,000 spectators lining the streets of Juarez to inaugurate the new highway. The starting lineup featured 132 drivers from all over the world, representing virtually every motorsport. Formula One, rally, stock cars, endurance racing, and even drag racers were there. Because the race started at the Texas border and entry was open to anyone, Many of the entrants were American, including several IndyCar drivers and NASCAR founder Bill France. Many of the other drivers were unsponsored amateurs chasing the 150,000 peso prize, including an unusually high for the time,
3: nine female drivers. They were really, they were unusually high.
4: <laughs> the female drivers. Oh, yes. Specifically yeah. just the female drivers. Yeah. They all met yeah. up before and smoked a dip. Smoked some mota.
2: <laughs> the vehicles meanwhile were limited to stock sedans with five seats huh in the end american cars and drivers took the first four places herschel mcgriff and ray elliott took the checkered flag in an oldsmobile 88 claiming a little over seventeen thousand us dollars as their winnings not bad they raced the final miles on the gravel roads of Chiapas without oil. What? Due to bonding out the oil pan earlier in the day. What? How did that happen?
4: Well, they just rode it, man.
2: They just rode it out. Nevertheless, they beat a competitor's Cadillac to the finish despite a smoking and rattling <laughs> like engine, that. which I imagine they just left there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I imagine that too. <laughs> uh,
2: they're just like, yeah, right, bye. Yeah.
4: <laughs> just park it near the pyramid. <laughs>
2: McGriff's Oldsmobile averaged 88 miles per hour over the five days and was able to outpace more powerful competitors from Lincoln and Cadillac because of a substantial weight advantage. Much of the race course was in Mexico's enormous Sierra Madre mountain range, and the Oldsmobile could pull away from heavier cars on uphill stretches.
4: Because they didn't have all that oil weighing them down. (laughs) Yeah.
2: McGriff's lighter car was also much easier to stop, meaning that the Oldsmobile finished on its original brake pads while the bigger cars were forced to reshoe their brakes every night. That's crazy. This proved especially important since neither McGriff nor Elliot was capable of even basic maintenance to their <laughs> car.
4: This reminds me uh, I know my, the type. My grandparents, or maybe my great grandparents, uh, took a trip down to Florida from Milwaukee and drove all the way there and my great grandma drove and she drove with 2 feet and she wore oh, yeah. she wore a set of brake pads down to Florida bought a new set wore them out driving back up to Milwaukee
2: just cuz she was like resting her foot on the brake yeah. pedal just like wore it out wow however the race was overshadowed by tragedy right from the beginning on the first leg of the race, Guatemalan driver Enrique Hockmeister flew off the road and flipped over six times, leaving him with a broken Jeez. skull. Oh, no. He later died from his injuries, yeah. as people with broken skulls generally do. But that's a
4: sick-ass name, though, Enrique Hockmeister. Yeah, that's interesting. It sounds like a,
3: a fake name that a frat guy would give his friend. Yeah, Enrique yeah. Hockmeister. <laughs>
2: <laughs> his name's like Eric Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> In another accident on the same stage, a four year old boy was killed and two other spectators were injured when a Lincoln Cosmopolitan driven by Mexican natives Jesus Velezzi and Adolfo Duenas Costa lost control and barreled into a crowd. Other racers drove off bridges, into trees, and off of cliffs. The accidents were quickly plastered across newspapers, spoiling the new highway's inauguration day. Ooh. Later on, Peruvian driver Jesus Reyes Molina died when he hit a bridge on the fourth stage and spectators also killed after being struck by the Nash ambassador driven by Eddie Salahub and Nicolao Scott. Despite the death toll, or maybe because of it, fans were wild about the race. When the Carrera reached Mexico City, estimates suggested that crowds between 500,000 and 1 million people lined the streets in a city of just 3 million residents. The event generated enough national pride that the government decided to stage it once again in 1951.
4: When does Porsche join it? Because they, they have to be in this, right? They have two cars named after this race?
2: Yeah, they do. The Carrera and Panamera are both named after this race. Well, I was thinking about the Porsche Hawkmeister. <laughs> but, uh... Joe, you'll just have to wait, I think. Okay. So hang in there, buddy, okay? Yeah,
3: I really want a 911 Carrera S Hawkmeister GTS.
4: (laughs) With a Hawkmeister (laughs) axle.
3: So many badges on the back of this 911. (laughs) We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors.
1: in just a few taps because when it comes to getting the most out of your home you can do this when you Angie that download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com that's A-N-G-I
0: dot com hey I'm Roy, and I'm Maul and we're the hosts of the new Roy and Maul podcast that's right I know you're probably listening to a podcast that you actually like right now and we just interrupted it with an ad that's all right. we're here and I appreciate if you didn't hit the 15 second skip button. Listen to our show where we cover topics like music, mm-hmm. movies, yes. TV shows, which you love to binge watch. Of course. Just lifestyle stuff. And give out crazy stories about our day to day lives. Yeah.
2: Check us out on the New Rory Mall
0: podcast. Listen to wherever you get your podcast and let us know how you're feeling about our show. And once you're done listening to this podcast that you actually like, maybe you could check us out.
3: The second running of the Carrera Panamericana was rescheduled from May to November in hopes that fall weather would be better than the rainy, humid Mexican springs. It's a great soap. (laughs) The route was also reversed to run from south to north so that media could take advantage of better infrastructure at the finish near the American border. This time, the race started in Chiapas and finished in Juarez. The new date. Oh,
2: they did it backwards.
3: Yeah, man, that's what I've been saying. (laughs) They did it the opposite. Start in the south, get in the north. That way the reporters can do the finish line.
2: Ah.
3: The new date was also chosen for after the end of the American and European racing seasons. Organizers hoped this would help attract more professional teams. Ferrari was the first European manufacturer to enter a factory team, sending two blue and silver 212 Intervenales customized with five seats to meet race rules. Interesting. I want one. The Ferrari Works team ran under the Centro Deportivo Italiano banner, although more noticeable was Sinclair Oil's big green dinosaur logo painted on the side of the car as the team's main sponsor.
4: That's the best logo.
3: Hell yeah. My favorite gas station logo. It just
4: is awesome. You just hear that that dinosaur going, Use my bones to drive.
3: <laughs> uh, do you remember that show, the dinosaurs? Yeah. Their last name was Sinclair.
4: Oh, it w- oh, that's why. Okay. I thought the baby's name was Sinclair, but he's just baby Sinclair. Yeah. Okay.
2: Oh, sweet. This thing's awesome.
3: Yeah. Dude, put it in the chat. I did. Organizers were determined. I'm going to look at it next time. I'm not reading. Okay, cool. <laughs> not that I'm reading all off the top. We just know. We just know. This stuff. We're just having a conversation. Shh. We're just having a conversation about something that we're all passionate about. Yeah. Like, like you know, twenty minutes ago, we like met on Zoom, and we we're like, "What do you guys want to talk about today?" And we we're like, "What about?" I think Joe brought it up. He's like, "What yeah. about the Carrera Panamericana?" What
4: about that race that started in yeah <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, Organizers were determined to prevent another bloodbath with a massive safety effort intended to protect both drivers and spectators. Reports from 1951 indicate that 50,000 soldiers were deployed on the race route in order to assure maximum safety along the entire highway. The day before each stage, troops were sent to clear the countryside of stray farm animals for a mile in either direction. During the race, soldiers were instructed to keep spectators 150 feet away from either side of the highway.
2: Okay, so they're taking
3: steps. Uh, not so fast. (laughs) Uh, uh Uh-oh. It didn't work. Ah! Once again, several deaths marred the race and further enhanced its reputation for danger. Most visibly, Jose Estrada, a prosperous Mexico City car dealer and a veteran racer, announced before the race that, quote, I will win or die trying.
2: Mm. I would you say that.
4: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You, You know that people die doing this, right, dude?
3: Yeah. Guess what happened? Um, Estrada and his co-driver, Miguel Gonzalez, were both killed on the opening stage when their 1951 Packard skidded off the road and tumbled 630 feet down into
2: a ravine. It's like a Simpsons bit. It's like, I'm going to win this or die trying. And then the car crosses the start line, veers left, and immediately goes (laughs) off a cliff.
3: The fact that it happened in the first stage does
2: make it very funny. It's ironic for sure. (laughs)
3: Yeah. The 1951 Carrera also claimed the life of the mayor of Oaxaca, a major city in southern Mexico, when his car careened off the mountain roads during a pre-stage
4: inspection. What? <laughs> <laughs> Was he He just put, forgot to put it in park? Well,
2: what I think it is, like, dude, okay, so like they, all these, like he's a bigwig, you know, he's like, oh, we got a race coming through my city. Dude, let me check out the track real quick. And he's in his car just like blasting around turns or whatever, uh-huh. Yeah, and then just... Messes up
3: Yeah Like he's not like Just sitting there He's driving like an old Rich dude
2: Yeah
4: Oh that's like A pre-staged inspection Is like you It's like walking the track Almost
2: Yeah but you're in a car Probably It's a car Careened off the mountain Yeah so he was going fast Yeah He wasn't inspecting He was Can you imagine if the mayor Just drove off a cliff (laughs) I mean (laughs) In
4: LA I wouldn't Be that sad (laughs) Yeah me neither uh, and Carlos
3: Panini, a famous pioneer of Mexican aviation, was killed while jockeying a 15-year-old American Bobby Unser for position on the second stage.
4: Whoa. Oh, Bobby Unser. I think it was He's a only weird, 15 at this weird choice of
3: words to say, jockeying with 15-year-old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that weird choice of words my brain decided to do, because this is all off the top of my head. <laughs> totally unscripted, pass gas. Number one, unscripted automotive podcast. This is actually live. You're listening to the the radio.
4: Yeah, there's no cuts at all. Yeah. Panini had
3: previously established Mexico's first airline and is also credited with being the first pilot to fly a light plane around the world.
4: And he makes great sandwiches. He
3: presses them. (laughs) But his daughter, Teresa, was actually the registered race driver since Panini didn't have a valid driver's license. (laughs) Nevertheless, Panini was at the wheel of their Alfa Romeo 6C 2500 despite ill health. Unser later described trying to overtake Panini, who was traveling at a lower speed, and blocked Unser and his father, Jerry, for a long stretch. When Unser finally made his move, Panini tried to block him again, and the two cars bumped into each other. Unser recovered control of his Jaguar to narrowly avoid plunging off a sheer cliff, but Panini's Alfa Romeo went straight into a wall. Oh, no. As Unser described it, quote, the car exploded on impact like an egg hitting a sidewalk. I didn't know it at the time, but Carlos was killed instantly. Luckily, daughter Teresa escaped unharmed. The deaths of Panini and Estrada, in particular, a pair of well-known Mexican sportsmen, spurred horrified reactions from government officials and the press. One politician called the race an imitation of North American customs not suited to Mexican characteristics. Mexico City's El Universal newspaper declared the race was, quote, a crime. Wow. First and second place were won by the Ferrari 212 Inters. Bill Sterling, a salesman from El Paso, placed third in a Chrysler Saratoga. Future Indy 500 champion Troy Rutman took fourth in a flathead V8 Mercury 8 he reportedly bought for $1,000 in a used car lot in El Monte, California. Yet Rutman and his beater bested several factory Lanchas and Ferraris.
2: Those cars probably broke down and stuff. The Chrysler just kept on
3: ticking. But the results hardly seemed to matter. Even off track, the race was getting bad press. Four engineering students died and two others were injured on their way to watch the car
4: tires. Oh, my God.
3: Come on, man. El Informador, a newspaper in Guadalajara, claimed that they lost their lives due to excessive speed, which became a common theme in critiques of the Carrera Panamericana. It encouraged people to engage in reckless driving as they emulated racers.
2: I mean, just think about the way people leave the parking lot at like formula drift <laughs> events and oh, stuff. for sure. Yeah. You know, and then this is like a race that's going across the entire country. People are, it's like, and it's also the
3: fifties. People didn't have like the computer,
2: right? Like they'd never <laughs> seen any of this.
3: Like they'd never seen videos of this. They'd never seen a lot of people probably never seen like magazines about it. Yeah. yeah. Like the fifties were way different, man.
4: We're wild.
2: Yeah. They didn't even have games on their phone. No. No, that's probably the most tragic thing of all. Mm -hmm. They didn't have Flappy Bird.
4: They couldn't even play Flappy Bird.
3: Yeah, man. In the 50s, there wasn't even Flappy Bird.
2: (laughs) Organizers were unmoved. They didn't have crush candy.
4: (laughs) They didn't even crush candy on their phone. They didn't even have crushing candies. They didn't even have (laughs) Smarties. Okay.
2: (laughs) Back then, they thought ketchup was spicy. (laughs) Organizers were unmoved by the scalding press. The race was still popular with crowds and was still getting... Scalding
3: press, is that a panini callback?
2: Oh, nice. Oh,
4: dude, that's so good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The race was still popular with crowds and still getting desired, still getting the desired publicity for Mexico's burgeoning technical sector. So the race continued on in 1952 and following the same path as the original race in
4: 1951. Going from Chiapas to Juarez. That's what
2: I thought. So the
3: American press can more take advantage of the infrastructure at the top. And so cover. they can
4: more take pictures of the racers Yes, when they finish.
2: Ferrari's 1951 victory led to more manufacturer participation, most notably... Mercedes-Benz sent a highly organized teams of drivers, mechanics, and 300 SLs. The gullwing, baby. Sent some of those over. <laughs> Dude, I didn't realize you got so hyped over gullwings. I love those things. Dude, J- Jay Leno has one that's like red, but it has a oh, bunch of... Oh, it's all beat it's got up. Like, it's all beat up. Paint's chipping off. It's got a little bit of surface rust here and there, but it's it's sick. That's my favorite one that he has. Oh,
4: you like a car that Jay Leno has that has patina? No, man, what? it's legit cool. That's weird. It's like so cool. It's not...
2: Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't call it patina. It's more of just like there's like big chunks of paint because it, it was raced. Yeah, race. it's super sick. Oh, nice! It's really cool.
3: It's like a it's like a 100% period correct. Like because it was actually raced at the time, unrestored.
2: Yeah, it's Goal-wing race dope.
3: car. Did Jay yeah. say that was That's his so favorite cool. car?
2: Not that I remember. I remember thinking that that was my favorite car of his collection that I saw. Yeah, there.
3: it was up there for me too. It's like one of the coolest cars I've ever seen. It's so dope.
2: Uh, Ferrari and Lancia both returned as well, uh, while F1's Gordini also entered the fray. I think that's a a race car manufacturer. With more and more European sports cars competing, race organizers divided what had been a single class into sports car and stock car entries. So the heavy American sedans didn't have to compete directly with the European entries. This race saw the lowest fatality of any running, but also maybe its most famous accident. The only death was Mexican driver Santos Latona, who flipped his Jaguar XK120 on stage three. But the 52 race is most famous for a collision involving driver Carl Kling and his navigator Hans Klank, who won the whole thing. (laughs) Kling and Klank. They are (laughs) Kling and Klank. Yeah. Uh, They won the whole thing despite a full-on vulture crashing through their windshield. During a long right-handed bend in the opening stage, the roar of Kling's Mercedes W194 scattered a group of birds by the roadside. One of them, a vulture with a four-foot wingspan, crashed straight through the passenger side of the windshield and briefly knocked Klank unconscious. When Klank awoke, he urged Kling to maintain speed, despite the fact that he was bleeding profusely thanks to the shattered window. They managed to avoid stopping until the pre-scheduled tire changed 40 miles later, where Clank cleaned himself up. When interviewed after the race, Cling and Clank agreed that the bird weighed as much as five fattened geese.
3: <laughs> Americans will measure in any way but the metric system. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Less famously, but with far larger long-term implications, Kling and Clank developed an innovative pace note system for the race, which allowed Clank to identify and communicate upcoming road bends in rapid shorthand to Kling. Their system was so effective that it's still used in rally today.
4: Car Kling. Kling and Clank. Hey, what's up? We're the car brothers.
3: (laughs) We're the car brothers. I'm Kling and he's Clank.
2: We raise each other. He's bleeding. <laughs> I'm Kling, and I'm Clank, and this is what we do.
3: He's bleeding <laughs> from the
4: bird.
2: <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors.
3: In anticipation of the fourth race, organizers named newly elected Mexican President Adolfo Ruiz Cortines the honorary president of the Carrera Panamericana in 1953.
4: Well, that guy's a double president?
3: Yeah, president squared. The Carrera's status was also enhanced when it was named the final round of the brand new World Sports Car Championship, a circuit run by the FIA of important sports car endurance and road racing events. The sports car class and stock car class were both split into two divisions depending on engine size. The over 1.6 liter sports car class was set up as a battle between Ferrari, Gordini, and Lancia. After taking two podium spots in its first Carrera, Mercedes bowed out before 1953 to focus on Formula One. But in imitation of Mercedes the previous year, Lincoln and Lancia both came to the race with highly organized teams and pre-prepared notes. Both teams swept one, two, three finishes in their respective categories. Lancia was helped along by legendary Argentine F1 racer and five-time world champion Juan Manuel Fangio, who drove the winning
2: vehicle. Fangio. Fangio. Hold on, wait a minute. This is, like, imagine if they did something like this today where you have manufacturers bringing, like, their top-of-the-line race cars and you have freaking, like, Lewis Hamilton also taking part in this. You know?
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so mean, cool. I was watching Extreme E, and I think Carlos Sainz Jr. was riding one of the cars. So I guess it still kind of
2: happens. I think that was Carlos Sainz Sr. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh,
4: that would make more sense if it's a rally race. Yeah,
2: because he's an off-road guy. He likes dirt.
4: I just think everyone's a junior. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> you're
2: such a daddy. Uh, yeah.
4: Do people say zaddy anymore, is that chuggy?
2: <laughs> I think chuggy is chuggy. I think that's a great shirt.
3: Do people say zaddy anymore or is that, <laughs> is that? too chuggy? <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Jose Hararta of Guatemala won the smaller sports car class in a Porsche 550. The Germans had entered a factory team into the Carrera for the first time, but it failed to finish. However, the company ended up seeing the race as a success because their cars took the top two podium spots in the junior sports class. But sadly, 1953 went down as the bloodiest Carrera yet with nine fatalities, three drivers and six spectators. Oh, my God. The biggest tragedy occurred on the opening leg when American Bob Christie failed to make a left turn, which sent his Ford backwards over an embankment into a muddy river bank below. As Christie and his co-driver escaped the wreckage of their car, a crowd gathered to watch and aid the drivers. But in that moment, the brakes on Mickey Thompson's Ford 6 jammed, and he came up on the same turn. He crashed over the same embankment as Christie and into the gathered crowd, killing six people who had moved to get a better view of the accident. Jesus.
4: I remember this from the Mickey Thompson first part. Yeah, it really messed him up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. That's when he like stopped racing. Yeah. Can you imagine killing six
3: people? God. Like, you're a pretty successful serial killer at that point.
2: That's insane, man.
3: Later that same day, Italians Antonia Stagnoli and Giuseppe Scotuzzi were fatally injured when their works Ferrari 340 blew a tire and crashed near Pucatan de Zaragoza. Sorry. Finally, race leader (laughs) Felice Bonetto was killed on stage four. Bonetto and his teammate Giovanni Bracco were running single-seat lancias without co-drivers. That meant they couldn't use the pace note system like everyone else. So instead, they had driven ahead and painted warning signs along the route. But <laughs> Benento missed a sign warning him of a dip in the road near the village of Soleo and crashed into an electrical pole. He was killed
4: instantly. That seems like way more work to be like, why don't you guys just have a co-driver that knows the route and can tell you? No, I think I'm going to drive the 2,000 miles and put warning signs up.
3: Well, it's a single-seat race car.
4: No, I know, but...
3: They want, to drive the, they want to drive the ultimate car on the ultimate course.
4: Well, looks like they paid the ultimate price. <laughs> I'll say.
3: But people were still nuts for this race. <laughs> When it reached Mexico City, spectators were climbing on top of nearby cars and trains to see the racers pass. Soldiers had to be instructed to lower their bayonets to keep spectators off the race course. By this point, the Carrera was a lightning rod for criticism. Newspapers condemned the race for its melanchismo, a popular term of the time meant to condemn Mexican citizens who seemed to help foreigners at the expense of their countrymen.
2: Organizers were aware of growing objections, so prior to 1954's race, Alessio Robles, the director of public relations, announced that the Mexican government would provide the least amount of money possible for it to continue. I'm sure it's going to get so much safer because of that. Unfortunately, he couldn't say how much they had spent in the past because their records had disappeared. Oh well. The race went on, but the bad publicity was taking its toll several race organizers briefly resigned in a successful attempt to draw more government support. Despite retaining its place in the World Sports Car Championship, manufacturer participation was down compared to previous years. In 1954's Carrera Panamericana was marred by tragedy before any cars even made it to the starting line. First, en route to the start in Chiapas, a non-competing Jaguar XK120 service car overturned, killing two American mechanics. Then, two Argentine competitors, Juan Antonio Gatti and Alfredo Duara, were fatally injured on their way to the race when they crashed into a canyon south of Puebla. More bad news followed as the race got underway. On the opening stage, Jack McAfee's Ferrari 375 Plus blew a front tire and barreled off the road. McAfee survived multiple injuries, but his co-driver Ford Robinson was fatally injured. Another incident followed on stage five when Victorio Mengi lost control of his Chevy Bel Air and crashed outside the town of Durango, killing his co-driver, Leopoldo Alvaro Zabato. A Mexican soldier and two unnamed spectators were also struck by vehicles over the course of the race, making for seven total deaths in 1954.
3: Mexican authorities came under tremendous pressure to cancel the Carrera due to the costs and extreme safety hazards. While the first race in 1950 was an amateur affair, by 1954, it had become a highly professional endeavor. In addition to Juan Manuel Fangio, famous drivers like Carroll Shelby, Red Byron, and Phil Hill had competed in the race. Meanwhile, the automotive power in these cars grew exponentially alongside the more skilled drivers. Between 1950 and 1954, the winner's car's average speed had gone from 88 to 138. Oh my God. Even though the course barely changed at all. And it was not uncommon to see the lead cars top 180 miles per hour. Herschel McGriff won the 1950 race with a total combined time of 27 hours and 34 minutes. Four years later, Umberto Maglioli did it in 17 hours and 40 minutes, nearly 10 hours faster than McGriff, and also more than an hour faster than the hyper-efficient Mercedes team had accomplished just two years earlier.
4: That's pretty crazy. I guess like the the Cannonball Run is three thousand miles, right? This is two thousand, but the record for that is twenty-seven hours right now. Yeah, but
3: that's on a road. Yeah, they have stoplights. I'm
4: just trying to like formulate how different they
2: are in my head.
4: 138 miles per hour as an average speed is pretty cray cray.
2: That's cooking, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of off-road sections. As an average speed. Yeah. yeah.
4: And it, people are going 180 miles per hour in 1954, which there's is no absolutely seat belts. terrifying.
3: Yeah, no seatbelts. However, the Mexican authorities didn't make any announcements until the 1955 La Mans disaster made them realize the true danger of the Carrera Panamericana. It was the most catastrophic crash in motorsports history, killing French driver Pierre Levet. And 83 spectators, plus injuring nearly 180 more. And in its wake, the Carrera organizers finally decided, "Uh, let's quit while we've only killed 27. Yes, a startling 27 people died during the Panamericana's original five-year run. It was widely thought by contemporaries to be the most dangerous race in the world and owns the uncomfortable record of highest documented mortality rate per race in the history of motorsports. Only a third of entrants typically even finished the race, and the long stage sections were impossible to secure entirely, making it possible for crashes to linger for several hours before they were noticed. But the ultimate issue was the amazing technical transformation in automobiles after World War II. Engines got bigger, cars got faster, and safety was largely an afterthought. Unfortunately, in this case, competitors and spectators alike became the casualties.
2: The Carrera Panamericana's primary legacies are a bloody reputation, but it is also responsible for a couple other historical footnotes. For instance, Porsche named the 911 Carrera because of the car's success in this race. And in 2009, they also debuted the four-door Panamera, a name also inspired by Panamericana. Mercedes got in the name game when Mercedes-AMG named their new grille after this race. The Panamericana grille can be found on almost all AMG vehicles starting from 2018. The race was revived in 1988 with upgraded safety rules and an altered seven-day, 2,000-mile route, but similar restrictions, only five-seat sedans. And as a result, the bulk of entries were highly modified 1950s and 1960s American stock cars. Well, not stock cars as in stock cars, but, you know, you get what I'm saying.
3: Stock American cars. Stock American cars.
2: But in 2006, the revived race debuted a modern category called Unlimited that now allows machines manufactured after 1990 to compete. Despite the extensive safety regulations now in place, many sections of the road are as dangerous as ever. This separates the Panamericana from other modern recreations of famous road races. It remains a true high speed sprint through the mountains. It's less deadly now than it used to be, but at least four drivers have died in recent years.
4: Well, they shouldn't have added that corkscrew to the road. Yeah, or the flip. Yeah, the what flip. The heck? It's a big spatula and when you drive on it, it flips you up in there.
3: (laughs) They also painted a bunch of tunnels on the side of rock.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And every all the spectators are wearing ghillie suits.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. There's no but here's the thing. There's no real reason to do this race anymore. The 70-year-old highway doesn't need any more publicity. We know our cars can handle extreme mountain roads most of the time, and we know that the results are bad when they fail. But people still risk their lives to compete in the Carrera Panamericana every single year, just like they did in the 1950s. And that speaks to the reason we all want to own cool cars that go really fast. Because why the hell not?
3: Why the hell not indeed?
4: Well, I think that was amazing for coming off of the top of your heads, guys.
2: Yeah, I'm really impressed. That was fun. What? We like to read. We like to know stuff. Sue us. (laughs) Speaking of reading, let's get to our mailbag this week. This is a correction. I'm really excited about this. Yes. All right. I've been waiting for someone to put us in our place. Correct us. Do you want to read this, James? Or Joe? How about you read it, Joe? Okay. I'm
4: usually the most wrong person on this. Things up. Not today, today it's Nolan <laughs> <laughs> Oh man uh, Brent writes, hey guys, love the show and all Donut Media content My son Icer introduced me to B2B and the D-List We now watch and listen to everything Well
2: thanks man
4: On to the correction, I knew well, there was a catch <laughs> During this past week's episode, Nolan stated that Jeff Gordon was the only driver to ever be Rookie of the Year in both the Bush, now Xfinity, and the Cup Series I happen to know that Eric Jones, driver of the the famous number forty three for Richard Petty, won both of those honors. So, up yours, Nolan. <laughs> he didn't. Brendan didn't say that. In fact, he also won the Truck Series honor, and think he is the only driver to ever win all three of them.
2: Well, shit, man. I'm gonna. Are we sure, Nolan said only and not first. I don't know, but I'm going to go walk into the ocean. Thank you, no, Brent. Let's, no, dude. let's
3: rewind the tape. Let's look at the tape before you Use go this as a ocean. learning
4: experience and move on yep. from it. Yep. Uh, thanks again for all the hard work you guys put into this podcast and for bringing car slash motorcycle culture to a format for a younger generation.
2: Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Brett of Flint, thank Michigan.
4: Brett, Brett Nicola, of Flint, Flint, Michigan, Michigan uh, in quotes, vehicle city. Is that what really is that what they call Flint, Vehicle City? I don't know because Motown was already taken. Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Well, big thank well, you, Motor Brent. City. We built, we got the all the a whole vehicle. <laughs> yeah, doesn't not even cars. We got we got pedal pedal cars. We got those bikes with the little curtain on top that you pedal while you're drinking beers. You ever all heard of a of
3: schooner? <laughs>
2: That's a vehicle. It is a vehicle if you would also like to correct us hit us up at, at com. or if you just want to send us mail about yeah. anything else hit us up there Nolan has We'd a huge love-
4: correction kink so <laughs> yeah,
2: I do um, correction kink hit us up follow the boys at joe g weber at james pumphrey and me at nolan j sykes if you'd like big thanks to our producers this week thomas Willett and gavin kinzel And thanks to our writer, Greg Nix. And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.